Now, uh, last week, last week we considered uh, regeneration as a renewal of human nature. Regeneration as the renewal of human nature. We said that sin distorts human nature without uh, destroying the essence of our humanity. We still remain human, though we're fallen humans. Um, But what grace does is it restores, heals, and elevates uh, our nature so that we are no longer fallen men and women, but those who are regenerate, born again. And uh, we also said um, that in the work of regeneration, the Lord renews the mind, the will, and the affections. Uh, we consider that in regeneration, we receive not only the Holy Spirit himself, but also this principle of spiritual life. And it's that element that I want to pick up on and flesh out a little bit more uh, this morning, uh, both in considering uh, this principle of spiritual life as it is infused and instilled within us in regeneration, and then how that practically works itself out in the war with sin in sanctification. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. We considered that uh, we receive a double grace from the Lord Jesus because we have a double problem, a twofold problem. What is our twofold problem? Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Uh, Lost. Thank you for trying. I appreciate the effort. A for effort. Um, what, what is the twofold problem of man? He, I'll give you one. He's guilty. And the second is what? He's rebellious. Okay, that's good. Uh, Bill? Ignorant? These are all good. Huh? Can't pay for his crimes. Well, that's good, too. Man, there's all kinds of problems that we have, don't we? But, uh, Liam? Liam? Huh? Defiled, corrupt, polluted. It's so, so it's one is our status, our status before God, our standing before God, how we're looked at through the bar of justice. We're guilty before a judge. But that's only one of our problems. The other problem is internal, and that is an issue of our own heart, that it's polluted, corrupt, defiled. And God has given a twofold grace, a double grace in Jesus to deal with both of those problems. One, the the justifying grace of Christ, uh, wherein we receive the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of his righteousness in order that our standing before God might change, so that we might be taken uh, out of a a state of wrath and being looked upon in a state of justification or a state of forgiveness and pardon and grace, a state of innocency. Now, that state is outside of us, as it were. It's external to us. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a legal declaration that the Lord makes that we are no longer guilty, but we are innocent and pardoned for the sake of Christ. 
But that's not what we're talking about now as we're thinking about regeneration and sanctification. That is an internal work. It's not something external declared over us. It is something that takes place inside of us. There is a real and true change, a true reformation that takes place within the heart. And it takes place in part through the... um, the work of the Spirit who purifies the heart and who instills or, or infuses within to us this principle of spiritual life. And uh, just a quick uh, look at this passage that we're going to look at a little more, but just to put one up on there, uh, it's John 3, verses 5 through 8, and, and especially 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Fallen man produces more fallen men with fallen human nature. But the Holy Spirit, when he begets men, just like the flesh, when it begets, it creates more corrupt flesh. When the Holy Spirit begets, He begets a spiritual nature. He begets a a spiritual nature into or inside of the individual who is born again. This is what Owen called the indwelling grace. Indwelling grace. So when we think of principle of spiritual life, or we think of just new life, We can call that indwelling grace. It's like we have indwelling sin, there's indwelling grace. And then also in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, we're promised to receive a new heart. A new heart. Now remember, what we said was, God does not give us new faculties in regeneration. The mind, the will, and the affections are still the mind, will, and affections that you had prior to your regeneration. That's because that's part of your human nature. Again, you don't lose anything in human nature, even through sin. It becomes corrupt and distorted. And so therefore, what comes in grace is a healing of human nature. So you don't receive a new mind, will, and affections, but you do receive a new, uh, a renewed mind, a renewed will, and new affections in the sense that no longer is love and desire set upon sin, but love and desire is set upon the Lord. Okay? So, although there are these... um, there, these faculties, the nature of man does, doesn't change. Uh, I mean, the hu- human nature doesn't change. He does, according to Ezekiel, receive a new heart. But what does that mean? So trying to get behind the language of the Bible to ask ourselves kind of what are the, wh- what is it getting at? What are the, 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 um, Uh, what are the metaphysical underpinnings of regeneration? Like, what what exactly does it mean to have a new heart? That's kind of what we're trying to drive at. And, And what we said it doesn't mean is that it doesn't mean that we just change our behavior 
or that our actions just change, but that our person really changes and that our character really changes, that there's a real internal change from within. And so he said, okay, but how so? How does that change take place? Uh, or what is it? how do we describe it? What does it look like? And that's where we introduce this language, language of the habit of grace. Habit of grace. Okay. Now, what is a habit? Anybody have a very brief answer? I'll give you. Very good. So it is an orientation. You might want to write this down. Orientation or disposition toward a particular kind of action. So a disposition toward a particular end or particular kind of action. That's just in summary what a habit is. Now, habits are usually, when we think of them, this is why you say, you know, didn't we kind of go over some of this last week? Yeah, I'm doing it again because I want to make this more clear, and then we're going to add further information on it. So the first is acquired. I did spell that, right? Yes, I did. Acquired. Acquired habits. Now, when you and I think of habits, when I use that language, almost indefinitely, you are thinking of this, an acquired habit. What's an acquired habit? Someone raise their hand and give me an, an, an illustration of it. Oh. You didn't raise your hand, but... <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, biting nails. That's a particular thing you do over and over again until you reach to the point where it's just commonplace. Basically, you just gave us the definition. That's right. So it's anything that you do over and over and over and over again in order to acquire a disposition toward it so that it becomes much more natural. It's not even something that you think about. It's just something that kind of flows, as it were, from you, okay? That's an acquired habit. That's what Aristotle was getting at when he was talking about virtues as habits. That the, if you want to be a patient person, then you must uh, dispose yourself toward it by habituating yourself in this way, by over and over and over and over and over and over again, doing particular things, that are going to dispose you or habituate you toward particular action, that you're going to be a patient person. Or, for instance, with honesty. Aren't there unbelieving people that you've met that are very, very honest? Like, insanely honest? Like, maybe even more honest than some believing people can be? And how is that the case? That's a virtue. How did they have this virtue? Well, it's because... Uh, by the grace of God, they, they have determined that they are not going to tell lies. And so every time they are tempted to tell a lie, they, they, they force themselves to have to tell the truth. And they habituate themselves, therefore, over and over and over again by telling truth to become a truthful person. So now they don't have to really so much even wrestle with it. It's just kind of, that's who they are. That's what they do. They tell the truth. That's one of the rules, I think. 12 rules for life, Jordan Peterson. Tell the truth. 
And I mean, that's in part what he's kind of getting at. This is the kind of stuff that he's teaching. And, and, and there's some benefit and help to that kind of societally. You can habituate yourself into good practices. You, could, you can habituate yourself into, even as an unregenerate person, being a moral person, generally speaking. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about regeneration. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about living a holy life. This is where then the idea or the concept of infused habit comes from. So Thomas Aquinas, along with early fathers, knew that this was the idea of Aristotle with, with respect to acquired habits, and they thought, man, there's something true and right about this. There's certain kind of dispositions that lead to particular actions. However, we need to Christianize the concept, and we need a new name, infused habits, because what we're getting at is not the things that you practice over and over and over and over in order to dispose yourself to particular practices, but with this infused grace, with this new heart, with this, that which is born of the Spirit becomes spiritual. What does that mean? Well, what it means is now there is this disposition that's implanted by the Spirit that precedes all actions. Does that make sense? So, acquired habit, there is action, 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 now disposition. When we're talking about the new life that we have in Christ, that is not through action, 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 and disposition, but disposition, and therefore, action, action, action. Does that make sense? Please raise your hand if this is making sense. Okay, thank you. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. So, where are they getting this concept biblically? That's kind of what I want to, want to look at a little bit. So, look at some passages of the Bible that describe this, this infused habit. This, this habit of grace. That is, this thing that is... Uh, this new life, this new nature that is in you, which we're calling the habit of grace. And it is that which pr is prior to any action. The illustration that I used last time was, by the way, Arminians don't like the idea of infused habits. So if you're a Calvinist, you should really like it. Arminians don't like the idea of infused habits because what it says is God is the one who actually changes the nature and therefore causes the action in you. And they don't want that, especially when it comes to the, to the reality of faith or the, the gift of faith, the grace of faith. No, no, no. We choose to believe and believe and believe and believe and we dispose ourselves to be believers. But the Christian doctrine, biblical doctrine, the Calvinist understanding is actually faith is a gift. Have you ever wondered how faith could be a gift and still be your action? This explains that. It's infused into you. 
you're disposed to believe. And yet, it's not God who acts. It's God who implanted the habit of grace. It's God who implanted the disposition of the heart to believe. But it's you who believe. You exercise and put into action the disposition or the new nature that you possess. Isn't that helpful? This is why I brought it up. Hopefully, not just to show you that I did some really cool readings in the past couple weeks, but hopefully to say, doesn't that explain so much to us? It helps us to get beyond the language of faith is the gift of God. Okay, but how? That explains how. See, theologians don't just sit around just working up their own ideas and drawing up new names of, and, 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 and making all these fine distinctions for no purpose. It's in order to clarify and crystallize our understanding in order that we might give glory to God in deepening our understanding as to what he has done in us and for us And it also helps us to articulate further to others the work of God's grace in regeneration and sanctification. Pastor Fred? I think one of the problems that people run into is that when these used habits come, the acquired habits don't just automatically go away. But you have the power now for those acquired habits to be changed. Yes, and, and so... The vices that you were once habituated toward are no longer the dominating force in your life. They are no longer the things that have reign and control over you. And by the grace of God, he's already begun to take away the sap, as it were, of that rotten tree of sin. He's begun to take away that which would give life to ungodly desires and ungodly action. That that is in part what takes place at the same time that uh, the the new man is alive and awakened and and, and, and in action in obedience. We're actually going to to get to this a little uh, further along the road. But, okay, let's get to 2 Corinthians 5.17. So that which is of the Spirit is spirit. Those who are born of the Spirit become spiritual men and women and boys and girls. They take on a spiritual nature. Men who are dead in sin, they're just flesh. They're just fallen, corrupt, polluted human beings in dead in sin. And yet, what's so amazing, because men didn't lose the image of God entirely, because they're still rational creatures, they could still, even without the habit of grace, they can kind of habituate themselves through good behavior to be relatively moral people. But those relatively moral people are still lost in sin, are still dead in sin. And all of the truth-telling is not pleasing in the eyes of God because it does not have the aim and orientation of bringing glory to God. 
Why is that person telling the truth? In order that they might feel good about themselves. In order that they might justify themselves before God. In order that they might not have to deal with a bad and evil conscience because of what they've done and telling lies. So there's all kinds of motives for why unbelievers can do good things, but those good things are not truly good in the sight of God. They're not truly uh, um, pleasing to Him in any salvific sense. But we, having now received this new nature, we are able to do the things that please God, and and it is because of His work, His prior work, in us first. And that's what Paul is getting at when he calls us new creature or new creation in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and notice again, the language of union with Christ. It's in the context of our union that we are made new creation. Jesus, who is the head of the new creation, who possesses this spiritual life in himself communicates that to the believer in union with him so now that the head who is spiritual is connected to the body who is made spiritual. We become spiritual. We become a new creature or a new creation in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away All things have become new. Just as Adam in the original creation, God breathed into him life and he became a living being. And that animated his life. So also, we were once dead in sin and God has done a work of second creation, as it were, a new creation. And he breathes into us this principle of life that animates all our actions, just like the first Adam. But this breath that he breathes in is spiritual life, the habit of grace. We become new creation and all things become new to us. Um, Another passage of scripture, 2 Peter chapter 2 Verse uh, ver- chapter one, Second Peter two, Second no, Peter one, verse four, Second Peter one four, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What is this participation of divine nature? What does that mean? If not this, that we participate in this spiritual life that has its place in God. That's where it has its source. Its source, the source of spiritual life is in God himself. And that is communicated unto the human nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has spiritual life in the spirit. And that is what he pours into us in union with him so that now we are made spiritual and we partake of this spiritual life. Listen to John Owen. He says this, This new creature, therefore, doth not consist in a new course of actions. This new creature 
does not consist in a new course of actions, but in renewed faculties with new dispositions, power, or ability to them and for them. This the, uh, theia fusis, that is nature, divine nature, is not the nature of God, whereof in our own persons we are now subjectively partakers. That is, we don't become God in partaking of the divine nature. That's not what Peter is saying. And yet, it is a nature, a nature it is, which is a principle of operation. And the divine or spiritual, namely a habitual holy principle, wrought in us by God in bearing his image. This is why we are said to be made new creatures. This is why we're said to be spiritual. This is why we're said to be, um, to have a new nature. Because we really do participate in a new nature. A new nature is infused into us. And another name for it, we're calling it, is habit or disposition of grace. Another passage of scripture that speaks to this reality is 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now that word seed is sperma, seed, used of plants or male seed. The seed of God. That just as a, a, a man begets a, a, or begets a son and he implants his seed and, and that seed bears his nature, his likeness, his image. I know it's kind of unpleasant to think about, but quite honestly, this is the language of the Bible. And if you read Campegius Vitringa on the spiritual life, he, he actually goes into some detail about this language here of the seed of God. But it's that sense of this disposition, this new nature, this spiritual life that, that is, is God's is implanted into us in regeneration. We bear his likeness and image because we have a new nature, a spiritual nature. We have this habit of grace. And because the seed of God abides in the believer, he cannot live, lie down in, and drink up and, 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 uh, and uh, live in uh, open sin. He cannot live in sin. Doesn't mean that we don't sin. Doesn't mean that we don't fall into sin. What it means is we don't lie down in sin. We don't live in it as we once formerly did live in our sins. But now we cannot do that because the seed of God abides in the believer. One last passage of scripture to try to tie these things together. Uh, and that is Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 24. So my contention is this language of new creation, spirit in John 3, 6... Divine nature in 2 Peter 1.4, sperma or seed in 1 John 3.9, and now new man. I think all of that language is getting at the one idea that we have implanted into us 
a new spiritual nature, which we're calling the habit of grace. And, and it is an infused habit that disposes us to a particular end or particular action. So um, second, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. He says, If indeed you have heard, uh, heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ, or, or truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. John Owen says, It is called a new man because it consists in the universal change of the whole soul. What are you? I'm a man. What does that mean? I have human nature. Well, what does that entail? I have a mind, I have a will, I have affections. Well, how am I a new man? Well, it is speaking of the renovation of the whole soul, of the whole man. You become a new man because there is a new nature, the seed of God implanted in you. And that seed, as it were, abides in all of our faculties. This disposition or habit of grace is not something that is located in the mind or in the will or in the affections, but it is located throughout the whole man. It is diffused throughout the whole person. And he says, because it consists in the universal change of the whole soul, as it is the principle of all spiritual and moral action. So the new man is the source of all spiritual and moral action, which is pleasing to God. Whereas, therefore, the old man refers to um, not merely old actions, but it refers to the disposition or habit of sin from which flows all corruption and pollution. So the picture that we're now painting is that there is this habit of grace that is infused by the Spirit that leads to godly action. But there is also this habit of sin that we receive through corrupt nature being conveyed to us from our parents, that we call corruption or indwelling sin, and that is not simply an action. Okay? Sin is not simply an action. Sin is a principle. Sin is a disposition. And it disposes to sinful action. So the old man is this habit of sin. It is this principle of corrupt nature from which flows immoral action and immoral thought and immoral speech. It is that principle that must be put to death. It is that, and, and therefore, we're to put on the new man. 
So in regeneration, we receive the infused habit or this new life. But in conversion, it comes into action. Okay? So this habit of grace, this disposition, this new life is infused into us. But it comes into action in conversion. What is conversion? Someone define with, to, to me, what is conversion? There's two elements of conversion. Being, um, being cleansed of your sin, but also taking on the righteousness of Christ. Very good, but not, not exactly the answer. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, very good. So conversion consists in faith and repentance. But we're, both, we're told in the Bible that faith is the gift of God, that repentance is the gift of God, But does God exercise faith and repentance for you? Does God repent for you? No. Does does God believe for you? No. So faith and repentance are gifts that were given in the habit of grace. We're given in this new man. We're given in the new creation. We're given in the seed of God which is implanted into us. But it comes to be exercised and brought into action through an act of faith and an act of repentance in our conversion, in our conversion. And that is very helpful for us in order to understand that there are principles behind the actions. Why is something like that important to understand? Because then you stop thinking merely about actions and you start thinking more about character, Because it is from a particular kind of character, a particular kind of disposition that these actions come out of. All that to say, if you're only, and Owen makes this point in in mortification of sin, if all you're doing is hacking at the fruit on the tree, if the principle of the tree, that is its roots, is corrupt and it is bringing forth uh, evil fruit, to just simply be knocking off fruit ain't going to do you no good. No, but I'm serious. That's the way that most of us think, though, about sanctification. So if I just get rid of this bad thing and get rid of this bad thing and get rid of this bad thing, then I'll be this holy person. No, no, no. Because you're not dealing with the root issue. You ever heard someone talk like that? We need, to, we need to deal with the root of the matter, not just simply the fruit. Oh, what are we getting at but this idea that these actions proceed from principles, dispositions within the heart. We need to get, we need to get below, be, be, we need to get down into the soil and below the surface instead of just looking at, at, uh, at these, at these, uh, these things. How, however, with that being said, we, we do recognize that trees are known by their fruit. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and following. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, 
but a bad tree bears bad fruit. The fruit comes from the nature of the tree. It's not the fruit that determines the nature of the tree. It's the nature of the tree that determines the nature of the fruit. This is why just changing our lives a bit and trying to do better because we want to be Christians is not the way to become a Christian. You must be born again. Is that making more sense? This is why just changing the externals of our lives doesn't change the heart and the roots of of the matter. We need a new heart. We need this principle of spiritual life infused into us because without it, we can do nothing good. No action will be pleasing and good in the sight of God. No matter even if we call it moral virtue. That is not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord because it still proceeds from the principle of sin within us. Yes? I'm going to throw something at you here. Mm. Oh boy. Well, I still wanted to get through these notes, but all right, go ahead. So the disposition we received from Adam, we are in Adam. And now we are corrupt because of his seed being passed on to us of an enslaved descent. Yes. So, in order to receive the new creation, the old creation must be put to death. Yes. And that was done on the cross through Christ's work. Yes. So that the old man is no longer the disposition of a habit of grace that we have within us. We have the new habit of grace through Christ being in Christ. We're, we're, we're getting there. I, I know, I know. I'm giving, I'm giving some new categories to actually try to work through that particular issue in some ways. So uh, I guess I just want to see if this makes sense. We are not schizophrenic Christians. We do not have what we were in Adam alongside what we are in Christ. Did you read my email? Okay. So, so in that email, John, John, John Newton gives a hymn in which he talks about the contradiction of his heart. In which he talks about the contradiction of his heart. And that what he desires on one end is not what he desires on another end. That he reads the Bible and wants to know the Word of God and loves the promises of God. And at the other end... He's cold toward the promises of God. Now, let me just ask you a question. Is that at all resonate with your experience? That's all that I want to ask. Does that resonate with anybody's experience in this room? Okay, that's all that I'm describing is that experiential notion of we are no longer in Adam. We are in Jesus Christ. But being in Christ doesn't mean that the habit of sin is removed entirely. What it means is it's dethroned from reigning in our life. But it is, now this reigns. But this principle still remains. And that's why you can feel two opposite things at the same time. But as Newton points out in that hymn, grace will prevail in the end, meaning 
the habit of grace will always win out. This is not two equals fighting. This is the dominant king in the heart. And this is a rebel who's going to get beat back. But we're still beating him back. We're still beating, uh, uh, fighting and, and, and warring against, against sin. I think another thing is that you're not, you're not, when you're sinning, you're not like all of a sudden you're not in Christ again. You're just in sin. And then when you're, when you're actually produced, we're not producing, but acting on faith and not repentance, if you're all a Christian, yeah. it's not, that's not, that's the schizophrenia. Yeah. You believe you're one way and you're, no, you're not, you're always mad. Yeah, we're always to see ourselves in Jesus Christ. We're never anything other than in Jesus Christ. But if you've been following my arguments, you wouldn't ever commit an action of sin if there wasn't the disposition of it. And what you're going to experience in glory is that. Amen. And then I stop having to, to war and wrestle because now sin is entirely vanquished in that it's, it's, it's gone. It's not even present in my heart. This is not meant to be esoteric. I know that what we're getting into is kind of heady, but I'm not bringing it to you so that we can talk esoteric things. I'm bringing it to you because I find this to be insanely helpful when we think about what's going on inside of me. And what is the, what is the language of the Bible that's given to us to express this fight and war that's taking place? So, the habit of grace, if you turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 26-27, speaks that this habit of grace, this principle of new life, this new heart, is not that just which inclines me to righteousness, but gives me power to righteousness. It, it, it moves me. It, it compels me, as it were. So, Ezekiel 36-26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and put on uh, and give you a, a heart of uh, a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my commandments and do them. So our sister asked the other day, "Well, what are we? What are you talking about in regeneration? Is it that we receive the spirit, or is that we receive?" Uh, this habit of uh, this habit of grace, this new life, and we said it's both because that's what the text says. I'll give you a spirit, my my spirit, I'll put in you, and I'm going to put in you a new heart. Th- those are two different realities, not the same, though they indeed work together. And then this this spiritual life that courses from Christ to us and throughout the whole person is uh, that which is um, vitalized, it's strengthened, it's, it's, it's given in our union with Christ. So that's why you, you read this language in John 15. John 15. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. verse 1. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus, in this vital union, gives continual strength to this habit of grace so that we might continuously be exercising ourselves in godliness. An illustration of this is found in Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, you have the fire that's raging in the heart of the Christian. Who lit that fire? It was the Lord. It was this habit of grace instilled in them, this fire that rages for God. And then what is Satan doing? Does anybody remember that illustration in the book, Pilgrim's Progress? Maggie, what what is Satan doing? He's pouring water on this fire. He's trying to put out this new life. But he cannot because there is another person who stands near the fire. And that is Christ. And what does he pour into the fire? Oil. He continually supplies us with fresh spiritual life and fresh strength so that in union with him, the fire never goes out, but that we are supported and kept and strengthened so that we might always be acting. You see, if we, we can't think that just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a new man so I can do godly things. That's all true and right. I'm not wanting to diminish that. But don't separate that from union with Christ. I am a new man. But as I continue to abide in Christ, and he continues to flow, and and from him flows this new spiritual life, fresh spiritual life continuously flowing down to me, as it were, that I might put myself into action. So that all the glory always goes back to Jesus Christ because he's the source of all the spiritual life. Now, we talked about these two habits being, in, being within us at the same time. And no, I, 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 I appreciate the objection and I appreciate the need to be very clear on these things. I agree with Elder Mike that this is king. What I was trying to reject in my previous discussion about these things was saying, I guess, I didn't grow up with this, but I guess in times past, some evangelical teachers said, you know what being a Christian's like? It's like two warring dogs inside you. And if you, you know, feed one, then one gets stronger. You feed the other, the other gets stronger. And so there's these two warring principles, these two things in you. And there's actually a measure of truth to what that's being said, as we're going to get to. But what they were not communicating was, or what they were communicating, as it were, that was wrong, is that they are equals. They are not equals. This is king. Christ reigns in the heart. You're never going to be lost. You're never going to be a carnal, carnal Christian throughout your whole life, but you knew Jesus the whole time. Because you are 
born again and a new man in Jesus Christ. But what this helps us to understand is why the warfare then? Why the warfare then? It's not just actions. It it is this disposition that is weakened, diminished, and kicked off the throne, but the traitor is still in the castle and he's still trying to wreak havoc. So, uh, we said, in in sanctification though, um, moving moving ahead real quick, in, in sanctification, though, how does this work in terms of sanctification? Well, we read this in Second uh, Peter 1. We, we are told that we partakers of the divine nature. But then in verses 5 and following, we read this. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue to knowledge. Knowledge to self-control. Self-control to perseverance. Perseverance to godliness. So this is something that we must do. We have this new nature, we're to exercise it, and as we put it into action, this reciprocal thing happens in which we are strengthened. So when we're, the, the more in which we exercise it, the more we grow in it, the more strong we become in the Lord. The more you act faith on the promises of God, the more you'll be disposed, even in troubles and trials and struggles, to still remain trusting in the Lord versus just despairing in unbelief. And so we are to act this grace, and as we act the grace, as we exercise love and faith and hope, we are strengthening this habit of grace, this this principle of spiritual life, Within us. But then there also uh, comes uh, this reality, which is that when we do give way to sin, and when we do begin to uh, allow those things to be present uh, continuously, as it were, for even for a time, what that does. is it strengthens the habit of sin. So why is it that even a believer can struggle to tell the truth? It should be obvious to them to tell the truth. They're a new creature. Why wouldn't they tell the truth? Because they have habituated themselves into certain vices, as Pastor Fred was saying. So they have habituated themselves into certain practices that are sinful and wrong, and those things must be put to death. Those habits yet remain and need to die. And one of the ways in which we grow then as Christians is by exercising the habit of grace, putting off sin, putting off our unbelief. That's the language of putting off. Putting off the old man with its former conduct. No longer am I going to lie. No longer am I going to give way to lust. No longer am I going to give in to this temptation. No longer am I going to give in to sinful anger against my brother. Put off. But as I put off, I need to put on. 
And as I put on the Lord Jesus and I exercise the grace of God, what happens is this. So just as me exercising faith causes me to grow in faith, so likewise, exercising faith actually weakens the very disposition to despair or to be unbelieving. Dear sister. I can't remember the passage, but isn't that why it says, put on the full armor and I'm going to pick up the sword? Very good. That would be a perfect illustration of that in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Another uh, text that is uh, along these lines is in Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, we read in verses 8 and following. I'll close with this. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. What are you to put off? By the way, the chapter began with, since you are raised with Christ. So he's speaking to Christians. Since you are raised with Christ. And then he says this in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. He's talking to believers. Put off these things. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. So the, the new man which is implanted is renewed and is strengthened. In knowledge, according to the image of him who created it. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, okay, again, he's speaking to Christians, holy and beloved, put on. Put on. But haven't you put on? Yes, you put on. But you need to exercise it. Exercise the grace that you, have, that you have been given. Exercise. Put the new man into exercise. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. This is the way of sanctification then. We have the new, the new creation, the new nature planted within us. We are new in Jesus Christ. This uh, former habit of sin has been dethroned and uh, is diminished. It, it is not reigning and king. And yet we are called to continuously be putting off wicked actions, ungodly thoughts, And to put on the Lord Jesus and to exercise the grace of Christ. And as we do that, we're strengthened in the new man and we weaken and diminish this principle of sin. And in that way, we get to the root of the issue, the heart. And we're not merely dealing with action, Uh, only this action or that action. I know that this is somewhat um, schooly, but I, I hope that in, even in a small way, it, it can be helpful. Um, and uh, we're going to stop. 
uh, Grant is going to pick up next week uh, with Christian history. And then at some later point, I'm going to come back and we're going to look not at all this furniture and the underpinnings, because uh, I know you just you want more of that. Uh, but what we're going to come back is, is just look at love, joy, peace, patience, and these various virtues. But if we didn't kind of work through some of this, I don't know how much it would have just been helpful just to jump into those other virtues, because we would tend to think of these things as mere actions, as mere actions perhaps that we carry out in our own strength, and not realizing that all of this comes from our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the new nature, the new man that's implanted into us. With that, I'm going to close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and we do thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering and for your long-suffering people. I pray, Lord, that these things might be, to some degree, useful and helpful in the way that we think about our own fight and war with sin. We pray, Lord God, that you would have us to grow in grace into the full man, to that mature man in Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we might take up the armor of God and make war against every uh, remaining sin and corruption that is in our hearts and life. For we desire, Lord, to be holy even as our Lord Jesus is holy. Hear us for his sake. Amen.